This is Oren Herskowitz, Executive Director of Columbia Technology Ventures at Columbia University in the City of New York. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Anil Rustiki, who leads Columbia's Herbert Irving Comprehensive Cancer Center, and is also wrapping up a two-year stint as Interim Dean of the Columbia University Irving Medical Center. We talk today about his father's path from becoming the first in his family to attend college, to teaching and performing research at Yale, Harvard, USC, and Buffalo, and how this influenced Dr. Rustigi growing up. How Dr. Rustigi got interested in gastrointestinal cancers in particular, and why he finds them interesting. Why he cares about seeing innovations emerging from his lab and also from Columbia overall, get turned into products and services that improve patient lives. The role that the NIH and National Cancer Institute play in cancer research and what advice he would give aspiring clinicians and researchers just beginning their careers. I also wanted to acknowledge that we had some challenges with the audio today. So unfortunately, it's a bit rougher than usual, but I hope you will still enjoy the conversation nonetheless. Dr. Rustiki, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Uh, so maybe we can start off, actually, let me go back to, to, your, to you as a, as a child. I'm just trying to get a sense of how you got interested in the space in the first place. I, I, I read online that your, your father was the first in your family, in that side of the family, to go to college, but ended up not only getting a PhD, but also going on to teach physics at Yale, at Harvard, USC, and Buffalo. So I got to imagine that education that there were a lot of expectations around sort of educations and careers in your family growing up. Um, I'm just wondering, was it a was it a foregone conclusion that you and your brother would pursue graduate school and then go on to become professors and clinicians? Sure, Orin. Well, it's great to be here, and thank you so much. My my story and uh, journey are uh, not atypical of an immigrant family. So, my my late father, you know, came from a very humble uh, background. His own parents, uh, uh, while working extremely hard and being quite knowledgeable, didn't have formal education. Yet, they were uh, they read a lot and they they taught a lot on an empiric basis, and that was very influential for him and his four siblings. He was second of five. And, um, you know, circumstances evolved that he was the first in his family, uh, this is in Delhi, India, uh, to go to college. And there was something about him that he was just naturally gifted in physics, his, his passion and love, as well as uh, mathematics. So he then obtained his um, college and master's degrees in physics at uh, Delhi University, which is a great university in India and couldn't afford it. The family couldn't afford it. So he won a, a series of scholarships. And um, in, indeed those scholarships were necessary to get books in physics and the natural sciences. So he then applied for PhD programs in, in the United States. And at that time that was you know, not a uh, typical course. And so um, did his um, initial uh, doctoral training at um, Stanford and then was postdoctoral or research associate at Yale and Harvard. So then the journey to the United States was on a ship through the Indian Ocean, Arabian Sea, through the Suez Canal, Mediterranean Sea, uh, stopping at various points in Europe, including London, and then arriving in New York City 
uh, and then taking a train across country. And during that journey, which took five or six weeks in, in that era, I lost about 20 pounds, but, you know, was able to um, get his normal semblance back. And, uh, you know, I, um, in my own journey, it, it's been uplifting for me, uh, so I'll elaborate upon, for me to be at this stage in um, New York City, where he landed, like uh, so many millions have done so. So after that initial work at Yale and Harvard, where he was immersed in research, and parenthetically, his mentor at Harvard eventually won a Nobel Prize, and I often wondered if they had stayed together because at that point in time, my father was being pulled to return to India, more for family reasons, because the extended family was there. And, and while he was here in the United States, um, I, I was born in the US, so, so he was torn where to settle uh, with my mother and my older brother and, and myself as a little boy and decided to go back to uh, India because he was invited to start a nuclear physics division at, at another university in India. And, and his Harvard uh, mentor and advisor said, don't go back. And uh, I often wonder what would have happened if he had stayed at Harvard. But anyway, he then started that nuclear physics division uh, back in India at uh, Banaras Hindu University, abbreviated BHU, but then felt like uh, he had hit a ceiling. So he returned to the United States to USC, University of Southern California's faculty, his first faculty position. But during that time, my mother, brother, and I stayed in India. So even though I was born in the US, my early childhood was in, in Delhi, India for about, uh, four, uh, about five years. And then he got a faculty position at Yale. So he um, called us back and uh, we, we joined him. And I, you know, uh, my memories are just amazing because I went from you know, there was a stark uh, difference in everything uh, between the United States and other countries at that time. And it just, uh, I, I was uh, overwhelmed with the um, changes in everything in daily life. So I remember that took uh, adjustment. And I also recall that while English was required in my school in India, my native language was Hindi. So here I am trying to adjust to different lifestyle uh, but also trying to uh, conquer uh, English. Right. So, and that was all in New Haven, is that, that right? When that you was, came back, you landed in New Haven? Back in New Haven, yeah. So it was uh, uh, irony of ironies that I was born in New Haven, returned from India to India, uh, returned from India to the United States in New Haven, and eventually uh, down the road, went to college at Yale. But my father was profoundly influential to my brother and myself, but um, actually many, many others in the family and many, many in um, various communities. He had this um, just uh, amazing philosophy and um, manner of presentation, uh, clear vision, very articulate, but very, um, uh, very humble in the way he did things. Um, so yes, there was um, an expectation that my brother and I would pursue you know, an advanced degree. Uh, his, his notion was for it to be uh, in medicine because he, he had this uh, notion that the opportunities in medicine in decades to come would exceed uh, any other profession at that time. He would not have been averse to our going into physics or biology or chemistry or mathematics 
Uh, not that we were anywhere near his uh, knowledge base, but I think his vision was uh, that medicine was the field to go into. And that's what my brother and I ended up pursuing. Was there ever, a, was there an alternate career? Like, were, were you at some point thinking, no, I really wanna, I wanna stay within math and physics? Or were you even thinking like, I wanna do theater or I wanna go into advertising or I wanna be an astronaut? Like, was, were you always, was, was this path sort of the one you were on from the beginning? Well, I, I got interested in um, um, biology and um, derivative aspects of biology in high school and it got amplified in college, so I, was leaning towards uh, biology with an appreciation of physics, chemistry, and mathematics. Um, so that's how that evolved. I, I did like a lot in college and ever since um, history, um, especially US history and, um, um, and European history, so I, um, and, and some aspects of literature. So I did delve into that quite a bit and I still remain in my mind a pseudo-historian and pseudo-literature authority uh, with emphasis on pseudo. So, um, so I think um, I was blessed to have exposure to a lot of disciplines and to the extent that I could participate in that and uh, retain some of it, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful. So maybe let's talk a little bit about your, your own research. Yeah, so um, as you know, uh, but for the audience, after um, college, um, one can go um, directly into medical school, which was typically the scenario, scenario in my era. Now you're seeing people doing um, a lot of other things uh, between college and medical school, which I applaud and uh, embrace. But in my era, the expectation was uh, to go directly from college to medical school, which I did at Duke University. Uh, during that time, those eight years, the, the research that I conducted was um, largely, although not exclusively, in um, electrophysiology as it applied to membrane biology. It was a very, um, uh, it was an area that had an inordinate amount of attention um, when I was um, uh, immersed um, in college and medical school. Um, and um, Duke University has a, a phenomenal component to its curriculum where in its third year, you can uh, be engaged in uh, research, which I did and continued in electrophysiology and membrane biology. Um, almost all students do that. And then I did, um, um, I, in medical school, I got really interested in uh, the broad field of internal medicine, which has so many sub-disciplines. So that's what I pursued uh, during uh, internship and residency in Boston at Beth Israel Hospital, one of the Harvard affiliates. When you say this, you mean inter internal medicine? Internal medicine residency. Yeah, okay. During that time, um, I got interested uh, by virtue of exposure and interactions and mentorship to cardiology, oncology, and gastroenterology. And uh, perhaps it was a coin flip for me because I would have been happy and I think I easily could have seen myself in those other disciplines. And uh, so I pursued a gastroenterology fellowship, both clinical and research at uh, Massachusetts General Hospital, another um, Harvard affiliate. Uh, and it was there that I um, sensed that I needed to um, uh, immerse myself in molecular genetics and molecular biology, which I did in my postdoctoral fellowship that was part of my gastroenterology fellowship, which I did for four years. It was very basic research, um, and, but what came out of that 
was that I wanted to bring it back to disease in gastroenterology. And because I'd always been attracted to oncology clinically, I thought, well, let me, let me do a blended model here. Um, take molecular biology, molecular genetics with gastroenterology, and in particular, uh, gastroenterological cancers. And that's what happened when I stayed on faculty at Mass General Hospital and eventually moved to University of Pennsylvania was um, uh, uh, pursuing research and developing and characterizing preclinical model systems and trying to translate that in um, different GI cancers that arise from the esophagus, pancreas, and colon. Um, I should highlight that these cancers are uh, in aggregate um, the most common cancers in the world, um, including other GI cancers. And uh, there's uh, various uh, clinical gaps in terms of early detection and uh, therapy. So it it very much appealed to uh, my clinical orientation and it very much appealed to me for the opportunities that I saw uh, might emerge or would emerge in, in trying to fill gaps in developing model systems that phenocopy the cancer. So that's how that started. Yeah, that's and, and actually I'll come out, let, let's touch on the, the clinical side as well. I, I know that you're, you're a practicing clinician, you're an active researcher. Um, you've led the Herbert Irving Cancer Center, Comprehensive Cancer Center, and you've been serving as interim dean the last few years. And yet, my understanding is that you've still been seeing, making time to see patients as well. Is that, am I right? Yeah. Um, so I, um, after Mass General Hospital as early faculty, uh, rising associate professor, I was recruited to the University of Pennsylvania, where I, had, uh, where I was chief of gastroenterology and directed a couple of centers, um, and then came to Columbia in early 2019 um, to have the honor of being the um, director of the Herbert Irving Comprehensive Cancer Center, which is NCI designated. And then in, um, uh, for the last 20 months, since July of 2020, um, I've been interim dean and interim executive vice president of our medical school and medical center. I'll be passing the, that baton on in March uh, for the uh, dean and EVP roles and uh, continue to be um, uh, director of the cancer center. But yeah, it, it's very important for me uh, to stay engaged in things that um, I'm um, e- equally passionate about, and that is uh, related to our research. And um, that uh, I've continued and had the really the honor and pleasure of continuing a very active research lab. Um, I was fortunate that a number of people um, came up with me from, uh, uh, from the University of Pennsylvania, so that was very helpful. Um, so we didn't have any disruption in momentum, but uh, e- even um, you know since arrival, our lab has been very active in um, on all fronts in terms of um, you know collaboration um, at Columbia and outside of Columbia, and uh, publishing, um, garnering grants, uh, renewing grants. The, for me, the the research is grounding because I'm dealing with primary issues, hypotheses, experimental design, data analyses, troubleshooting. Um, It's really energizing to be working with um, graduate students, MD, PhD students, postdoctoral fellows, um, uh, technicians in our lab and uh, adjoining labs and uh, other labs at Columbia, um, utilizing our great core facilities and educational enrichment programs. 
Um, and it, it's, it's um, you know, very satisfying, although the job is never done. And at the same time, uh, these research pathways help inform, um, uh, at least for me, uh, uh, clinical endeavors and, and vice versa. Um, the, the, the clinical care helps inform uh, uh, research questions and, and trying to answer those research questions. So I've, um, you know, since the beginning um, at Columbia, I've continued um, taking care of patients um, and sort of marrying that to my research. These are patients and families who have inherited risk to GI cancers uh, based upon um, uh, heritable gene mutations. So their risk is magnified to develop GI cancers at an early age. Um, so it's, um, it's, it's fascinating. Um, and at the end of the day, um, I, I think most research uh, is oriented towards clinical care, patient care, helping a lot of our patients in their families, communities, and societies. So that too is um, inspirational to know that, you know, I might be playing a role in helping uh, patients. Right. I mean, it's interesting. The university over the last five to seven years in particular has really reoriented in many ways around this, the idea of the fourth purpose and the idea that the, you know, the university is here not only to push the boundaries of knowledge and teach the next generation of leaders and interact with our communities but to really make an impact on the world. And in some ways at the medical center, it sounds like that's the, the clinical mission makes that part of, that's always been part of what the medical centers do and what the researchers there do. I think so. Um, you know, obviously uh, a lot of great things at Columbia, but, uh, you know, other medical schools, medical centers and universities pursuing um, similar uh, pathways. And um, uh, I, I think it's really critical to improve the lot of individuals, uh, especially those that are disadvantaged or under-resourced or unresourced. Um, and I think that is uh, very much something that um, I find uh, important, critical, and um, inspirational and not take anything for granted um, that I've um, had the opportunity uh, to participate in or lead or um, be blessed with. So building on that, on the last few years that you've been interim dean at CUMC, it's been a crazy time with the with the pandemic, overturning everything we think of as normal. Um, do, do you have a few things that stand out as as moments or initiatives that you've been particularly proud of during the past few years? Yeah, what I've tried to do is, uh, well, first and foremost, um, the circumstances, the events surrounding uh, COVID and the re recurrence of COVID um, in in. Um, surges and the latest one uh, with the Omicron variant, um, we tried to shift as much as possible from reactive to proactive, especially uh, in the context of um, hospital care and uh, outpatient clinical care. But the impact it's had on our uh, faculty, staff, and uh, uh, trainees uh, has been enormous, both positive and negative. So. Um, I've been uh, motivated uh, by the unadulterated heroism of our faculty, staff, and trainees, and indeed our patients and families and their families as well, on a daily basis now for the last um, you know, 22 uh, months, approaching two years uh, of, the original, of the initial wave in New York City in March of 2020. And so th that's been 
just informative and um, uh, help me understand, uh, you know, what I can do to contribute to ameliorate the suffering and um, have the honor of um, leading a variety of um, efforts as well. But what I also felt was important while this was occurring, and you know that was um, uh, that was and is both historic and generational, that uh, it was possible to still pursue uh, the missions of of, of um, innovative and comprehensive clinical care, education of uh, individuals that you know will um, inform. Um, society um, in the next uh, generation and conducting research spanning the spectrum or gamut from basic to translational to clinical to population. And I think we've, we, we've uh, had um, tremendous success um, in those endeavors. You know, research productivity is high. The educational programs are thriving. Innovation in clinical care uh, is um, uh, just proceeding at, a, at an incredible momentum. Our, our partnerships with our uh, uh, community organizations are, are uh, amazing. Our uh, ability to present and influence the landscape, um, especially in policy nationally and internationally, um, you know, has been enhanced. So I also felt like that by pursuing these missions that it would, um, be helpful for our faculty and staff and trainees to see that progress was and is being made and that it would represent an opportunity for them to um, have, uh, you know, to be uh, even more motivated, to have some degree of satisfaction, um, some degree of pride and, and be able to celebrate, you know, the collective um, set of accomplishments. So that's what I was thinking throughout this time. First and foremost, uh, to deal with COVID at many, many levels, um, at, at, you know, at so many complex levels, and at the same time, uh, pursue our um, academic missions. So in order to address um, healthcare disparities, for instance, in clinical trials, both um, cancer-related and non-cancer-related, we uh, formed a um, unrestricted partnership with uh, Pfizer. Um, and Pfizer has provided us with a uh, substantial grant over the next three years to diversify um, our own um, uh, faculty and staff as we um, um, communicate with our patients about clinical trials, to set up uh, programs to increase representation from underrepresented um, uh, groups for recruitment and enrollment in clinical trials, re recognizing that we do amongst the best, if not the best in the country in that context. And third, um, if one thinks of it as uh, different points in the triangle, to train uh, physicians and coordinators and uh, other types of providers across the country. So they'll come to Columbia for immersion in these types of uh, approaches. We also have um, a, a grant uh, from Johnson & Johnson to increase uh, training of uh, individuals in our communities to pursue careers in um, healthcare. 
Um, and there have been other types of support through banks and foundations, uh, for instance, uh, Bank of America. So this has been an amalgamation of, of our fundamental philosophy. It's in our fabric to be doing this with our great uh, partners in our communities, uh, local communities and in New York City and beyond, as well as um, external uh, organizations. That, that's that's really great to hear. And it's really, it's inspiring, I think, for many of us around the university to see the dedication to this. Keeping on the theme of external partnerships, you know, as, as part of my job at Columbia Technology Ventures, I, I we're explicitly outward facing. So we spend most of our time working with venture capitalists and companies and going to startup events around town. Um, and it's a community I really enjoy being a part of. Why do you care about these kind of external partnerships and innovation entrepreneurship? Do you think that's something that's a sort of a, that dean level leadership at Columbia should be caring about? And, and like, what role does it play in Columbia's vision? Well, I don't want to speak uh, for others, but I, I can um, convey um, a, a deep commitment and uh, interest in taking forward the discoveries at, um, at Columbia's medical center to uh, external partners, um, be they pharmaceutical companies, biotech companies, investors, um, so that translation of those discoveries to clinical trials, to eventually uh, adoption in clinical care is in keeping with what I've indicated. So I do think that outreach is extremely important, be it in other activities that I've uh, mentioned already with community partners, but then also those that are immersed in commercialization of intellectual property and licensure. So I do participate in, in those activities as well uh, in order to highlight uh, what's going on at Columbia and um, uh, providing a platform for communication uh, bi-directionally. Can you explain the role that the NIH and the NCI has had in your work and at Columbia? What, what role does government funding play in what you do? Yeah, so um, the, the, the organization is National Institute of Health, or NIH. It is a part of um, the Department of um, Human and Health Services, or HHS. Um, the NIH, in turn, has uh, about 30 institutes, um, one of which is the National Cancer Institute, or NCI. It is the largest in terms of programs, number of personnel, and funding um, uh, uh, for the total NIH budget. And um, uh, the NCI has grown in prominence ever since uh, uh, President Nixon declared war on cancer. Um, and we're now celebrating that this calendar year, the 50th year anniversary. And there's a whole potpourri of activities led by the NCI uh, but also here at our uh, Columbia campus uh, for this uh, entire uh, calendar year. So the budget for the NIH is divided into two components. One is intramural, so research and apply applications therein that's conducted at the various NIH campuses, uh, largely in Maryland, not exclusively so. And then the larger component of the budget is so-called extramural which then helps support um, um, graduate students, MD, PhD students, uh, residents, uh, fellows, more in career development activities, uh, individuals, what's called R01 and derivatives therein, 
bringing people together, what are called uh, program projects and U01, U54, um, and um, um, so forth, bringing institutions together as well. So um, Columbia has um, one of the highest, uh, Columbia's medical school has uh, one of the highest um, NIH funding uh, portfolios in the country, credit to an inordinate number of faculty, staff, and trainees. Our School of Public Health and our uh, School of Nursing also are ranked very highly in terms of uh, total NIH funding. We, um, um, uh, this helps support as well as fuel uh, research, especially that's multidisciplinary. Uh, so we're very grateful uh, to the NIH and um, the NCI. So our um, NIH funding is uh, close to, it's about 500 million at the medical school. Our total research funding is close to 800 million because there are other sources of funding, foundations, societies, uh, and so forth. Um, our cancer relevant funding um, is um, over 100 million of that 500 million. And our NCI funding is um, close to 40 million of that over 100 million. So we work very, very hard. We have great infrastructure to support our structure in cancer relevant uh, research that again spans discovery science to translation to um, cancer care. Um, I have been the beneficiary of grant funding from the NIH um, you know, throughout my career, uh, including um, and especially the uh, NCI. And I think a fair amount of our progress uh, has been made possible through this uh, type of um, support. Thank you. I'm just gonna ask a couple more questions and these are getting more towards personal balance and career choices. So, uh, you know, when, when you think back on the, on the life you've carved out for yourself, as a scientist, as a clinician, as a center director, as the dean, what advice would you give young academic scientists or, or medical school students just starting out on their careers? Any, like any thoughts to share on how they might think about their career choices and things that you decisions you made that you've been happy about or things you might do differently if you could do them over again? Yeah, I, I, I speak about this quite a bit to the constituents you've mentioned at Columbia and actually throughout the country. And I, you know, write about it as well, you know, through commentaries and editorials. I think first and foremost is um, uh, pursuing one's passion. So if one is passionate about science, medicine, and healthcare, then one should pursue it. And things will largely work out. Passion is critical. Secondly, um, mentorship, advice, input from those that have uh, been trailblazers at different stages, those that are um, you know, just a couple of years ahead to those that are a couple of decades out. So I do think that the mentor-mentee relationship, and it doesn't have to be one mentor, I, I think of it as a, a group of mentors, some that are more content-oriented, some that are more uh, oriented towards professional and, and um, um, academic development. But the mentor-mentee relationship is really, really critical. And it's not ephemeral. It, it really should be durable. And mentors have to be helping, not just at one stage in, in the mentee's career, but throughout, um, throughout all stages of career. And that type of relationship is, is just really, really great and uh, exhilarating. 
Uh, the third is the support system from uh, family and friends. Um, if they are equally understanding, I, I think that's helpful. Uh, fourth is uh, pursuing activities that represent diversifications, diversification of one's thinking and action. So uh, being as well-rounded as possible, you know, taking a holistic approach uh, to one's uh, studies by complementing with other types of um, activities that are not necessarily always uh, um, scholarship uh, related. Uh, fifth is being in an environment that recognizes that, um, that there are common principles in science, medicine, and healthcare, but the environment allows enough flexibility from uh, deviation from those common principles, exploration of, um, of uh, new pathways. So these are sort of Warren, five things that I think about uh, quite a bit and try to convey in um, individual meetings as well as in group settings. You know, as I look back on my own career, uh, of course, you know, in retrospect, things seem <laughs> a lot better uh, than they were um, actually when one is going through them because time allows one uh, a certain degree of uh, perspective and uh, dare I say wisdom. But, um, you know, uh, it's not that along my pathway that I didn't make mistakes or um, that I maybe made a decision that uh, didn't make any sense. But, you know, that, that's life. And I think now with so much knowledge, communication and mentorship that um, success is more immediate, success is much more durable. I'm going to test you on one of those things. You mentioned diversification and, and being a whole person. And I found that in many of the interviews I've, I've done so far, when it gets to the point of finding out, so what else do you do outside of, uh, you know, this, this, this is a stressful career. I mean, even without the sort of hyphenate life that you've lived of a, of a academic leader and a dean and a center director and a researcher and a clinician, um, academic life is a stressful life. And, and when I've asked our faculty researchers, what do you do for fun? Like, what, what, what might we find you doing on a Sunday, assuming the answer is not, I'm still in the lab? Over the time I've worked with you, I think this is sort of widely held to be true, that you're, you're honestly one of the like, nicest and most humble and calm-seeming uh, leaders in, in this institution, or I'd say any institution. And so like, how, do you, how do you keep your head outside of work? Well, that, that's a great question. Um, I, I can't say that I've got some grand plan um, uh, about that. Um, you know, I, I enjoy uh, reading in uh, different areas. Um, as I alluded to earlier, um, literature, history, uh, 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 government politics, let alone science and medicine. So uh, maybe that helps keep my mind um, you know, active and uh, thinking about initiatives and um, synthesizing. You know, I enjoy synth uh, synthesizing seemingly disparate uh, facts and um, events and I enjoy being solution-oriented, so I think readings and discussions I view as very helpful and um, energizing and liberating um, and to translate that back into uh, work. Uh, the, the second is I will never, never earn 
any type of metal in sports um, uh, to the extent that I can do a, a little bit of um, athletic activity uh, and quotation marks around athletic, uh, that helps me, you know, with some modicum of um, uh, exercise. Uh, um, and third is, you know, I've, um, you know, this harkens back to my father, my late father, and, um, and you know, my mother who just turned 90. Uh, my mother's a great uh, source of, um, of comfort. And, um, you know, the, the, the memory of my father is, uh, and I'm not unique in this, uh, obviously, but it's imprinted in me. So I literally on a daily basis, I have conversations with him. I imagine like what he would say, uh, you know, if I have a question, what he would say, and I, I get a lot of comfort in that. And I'm blessed to have a great wife and great children and a, a great extended family. So um, that provides me with a great deal of um, comfort as well. Dr. Rostocki, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Warren. All the best uh, to you and our listeners.